Hi, I'm George Tekmachov. Welcome back for another Easton Target Archery Podcast. Well, I don't really need to mention the fact that for the last six months, we've all been in a bit of suspended animation regarding our archery competition aspirations. Very few events have taken place, but in the last couple of weeks, the world is starting to open up again, and more and more events are taking place. That's good news. And there's a lot more ahead. As we move into the fall and winter in the Northern Hemisphere, World Archery is hard at work making sure that events that are scheduled for next year are going to go on as planned. We're seeing a lot of progress, and we're going to have a chat right now with World Archery Secretary General Tom Dillon to talk about that and a lot more. Pleasure as always, George. Well, it's it's been a, uh, a busy week at WA. There's a lot of things going on, and I wanted to take the time to... Um, go over some of those but one of the nice things is uh, WA has had another anniversary 89 years of uh, formerly the Federation Internationale de Tiro Larc FITA and now WA for the last uh, decade and um, actually almost a decade now nine years that it's been world archery and uh, I hear that that saying FITA around the office results in dire penalties these days well, yes, uh, I, we occasionally, I would say for the organization, it, it's it's fine, but it's occasionally when we talk about the 14-14 rounds, the the former terminology is raised from time to time. So uh, Sure, sure. Yeah. Well, it, but uh, it's quite a birthday um, when you consider the membership growth and involvement over the years. Um, of course, World Archery members are national federations like USA Archery in the United States, uh, FFTA in uh, in France, uh, All Japan Archery Federation in Japan, and now there are 166 countries, which is a remarkable number, right up there with any other sport. Yeah, absolutely, and it has grown quite a bit. And, and as we have uh, published on our website as well, we clearly see the research certain periods in the growth, uh, and uh, and also knowing that I would say. Act, at the moment, we're not actively looking to increase it further. We, we concentrate more on making the ones we have stronger because we feel that it's more important to have a, a good number of strong countries rather than having uh, some postal boxes in the countries that are missing at the moment. So this is a clear, I would say, a strategic decision we've taken that we want to concentrate on making the ones we have better. But of course, we're not saying no to any I would say new member and we have actually one new member that uh, is joining in the last few days which is Bahrain where they already have a, a very good uh, development program in place uh, which makes it much more credible for a new member to join than if it's I would say one family or one club that wants to join uh, World Archery as a national federation. If we look at the participation in world archery events around the world europe is still the strongest continent from the standpoint of participation in wa but uh, right behind europe is asia followed by the americas in terms of uh, a chart that you have on your website and um, after that you have africa and then oceania so it seems that there's some opportunity for events um, in places where maybe we haven't had them before. And of course, looking into the far future, um, do you expect we might see opportunities for some events in places like Africa? Well, I think, yes, I, we, we were, uh, 
without COVID, looking forward to having a, a World Indoor Series in Cairo uh, in uh, November this year, but unfortunately uh, that has gone uh, away. Um, and and at, uh, we had a conversation with uh, One Archery Africa earlier this week, and, and we said uh, we're working together with them to make a strategy for them. And for instance, one of the, the points that uh, for sure will be part of the strategy is that for the future, uh, a goal should be that African athletes qualify at world level for the Olympic Games rather than only at continental level or at, uh, I would say, with invitation places. And this is clearly something we want to work with One Archery Africa to make sure that the quality uh, goes up, uh, quantity as well, but quality uh, is our first concern for what concerns Africa. Which uh, sort of echoes what you talked about earlier in terms of the overall membership, quality over quantity in, in some ways. And I think that uh, that is an opportunity because we have not seen um, in years uh, a archer from the continent of Africa on the podium at major events. The We've had some from South Africa, of course, in the past, uh, some very prominent ones. But oh, uh, we've, we've seen in, in Singapore when we had the first Youth Olympic Games, of course, a winner from Egypt, which was a yes. a big surprise to all of us. We we also saw a, a quite good performance from uh, an Olympic Solidarity Scholarship holder in, in the Netherlands, um, uh, Marlies Urtu uh, from from Chad, uh, who, who easily shot the MQS and who was uh, among the cuts when you had some people that you would expect to make the cuts, didn't make the cuts. So we, we, we see progress, but we, we need to have that progress, I would say, increase even further. Uh, and uh, it is possible. Uh, we, uh, we see it's, it's no longer, I would say, unrealistic to think that a small country or, or a country from, a, I would say, an area where there is less economic support uh, get good results. Sure. And of course, you know, it shows that paying attention, giving the resources and the training does pay off because of those uh, milestones that you just described. So it, it's clear that, um, you know, where, where WA pays attention, there are dividends to be had. Had there, isn't there? Yeah, but uh, I, I think it's something that is part of our genes as, as, as federation. Uh, we were the first sport to have a, a woman as president of an international Olympic sport federation. Uh, and we've had since uh, Atlanta a complete parity in terms of uh, number of athletes competing in the Olympic Games. Uh, we've also since now um, uh, Rio Olympic Games, uh, a full equal number between men and women judges during the Olympic Games and more and more during all events we organize. So it's something we, we, we tend to, to keep as, a, as, I would say, part of our objective. So we actually, in our constitution, I would say, increased the importance of it in our last Congress and then really made a clear objective of the Federation. And uh, we're working with our members to see how we can increase participation in competition, but also in structures, uh, coaches, uh, and so on. And, and for instance, we have, we have a very simple thing that we added in our, in our constitution, uh, which we hope will have a, a very positive effect, which is if you participate with men and women uh, in 
at least two events in, in an Olympic period, you get an extra vote in Congress. And this is really a way of pushing uh, our member associations not only to send men, but also women. Uh, we also um, think that with the introduction of term limits, we will be able to get more women uh, as candidates and being elected. And then the, the last one uh, is that we also now have the possibility for our board to propose certain people for running for positions. And this is for sure a tool that we will use to put uh, forward uh, female candidates uh, as such uh, for positions. Well, and as you alluded to, as you alluded to, with Inger Firth being the first international federation president who was a female, archery uh, was the first, one, one of the first anyway, to include a women's event at the Olympic Games itself back in 1904. So it's, a, exactly. it's not a new phenomenon. It is... Um, no, like I say, it's part, of, it's part of our legacy, it's part of our genes. And then actually, uh, I, was, I was writing uh, some facts for, uh, for our communications uh, department earlier today and, and why uh, when we think of inner fruit we, we of course we the first thing we think of is uh, uh, her bringing archery back to the games in 72 but for instance it was also during her presidency uh, we had uh, field archery added to our rules and, and the first world field championships were organized so um, we not only was she uh, I would say uh, a woman but a great president. Yeah, uh, certainly a great leader and, and one who set the tone for our sport for decades. Speaking of field archery, not a bad uh, transition perhaps to talk about the fact that this week we would have been in Yankton um, for World Field, which has now been pushed to 2022. But this week uh, and in the next few days, you're doing some things with field archery, aren't you? Yeah, what we are doing is we are trying to, I would say, communicate on field archery and on what could have been the case uh, as such. Um, and then, okay, uh, we, we also actively are working on the on the Back to Archery uh, campaign. Uh, and uh, for instance, we had uh, last weekend uh, several national championships uh, happening in uh, Netherlands, Denmark, uh, Russia, um, Switzerland, and in several other countries. So we, we're starting to see really people coming back to the sport and back to competition and uh, we are very pleased with that and uh, it, it also allows us, we, we did some testing at the Swiss Championships of doing a, a remote uh, production uh, in terms of television which uh, has given us valuable lessons for the future on how to be able to produce um, uh, events uh, remotely uh, at a very low cost. Sure. And in fact, um, you know, as you and I talked about previously, Japan had a remote tournament back in July, which had well over 1,100 competitors using the Ienseo results system. They're going to do it again in October, by the way. They're going to have another event, and this time they're making it easier for international shooters to uh, participate. And uh, if you go to the easternarchery.com website Facebook page, um, you can find a direct link for entry for that particular event. All you have to do is download the Ian Seo app on your smartphone and you can participate during the scoring window that will be announced uh, that's part of that uh, initiative. So that kind of thing is becoming more popular even as we do see archers returning to the actual field of play as you alluded to in Denmark and Switzerland. By the way, the Swiss event kind of benefited 
from the ongoing restriction of general sport in that you got television coverage, didn't you? Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, I, I don't think we would ever have had so many uh, people watching it on, on, on the television and also on, on the social media channels and, and so on if, if it would have been a normal situation. So we're very pleased uh, with that uh, because it was a good promotion also for the center. Uh, and, and, uh, and coming back to the, the online uh, tournaments, uh, it's definitely something uh, we're looking to see how we can maximize that and also see how we can combine uh, online with actual real tournaments and, and see how that can work together. Um, because, okay, it's clear that some parts of the world are already, I would say, less uh, confined and can move more than other parts of the world. So we need to find solutions where there is something for everyone uh, that wants to be involved in the sport. Yeah, whether it's uh, live on the field or virtually from your, you know, from your home range or wherever you can get to turn in a score, there's got to be a way for people to continue to participate. And I think that people continue to be eager to do so. Shifting gears for a second, um, for years, it seems, IOC has, uh, shall we say, flirted with the idea of examining the role of esports, what we might consider gaming, as part of Olympic culture. And I understand that WA is also looking at the potential for participation on some level in global esports. Can you elaborate on that a bit? Yeah, so we, we became a member of the, the Global Esports uh, Federation. And actually, uh, I'm just coming from a, a meeting uh, with them. Uh, and uh, we're making, uh, I would say, real good progress on seeing how we can work with uh, a publisher of um, a game. And, and I can't tell too much about it, but uh, it's definitely an area where we want to see how we can work together. Uh, and and make something that is is good for uh, our sport and uh, which will really help to promote uh, archery and the values of archery worldwide. And um, I would say I'm I'm very optimistic of what can come out of it. We will for sure also work with uh, with Eastern and with with other manufacturers because I, for a game to be successful, there has to be a uh, a good cooperation uh, with, with possible uh, advertisers and sponsors and so on. So I'm really excited about the project and, and, and it's really the first time that that we seem to be heading the right direction. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it seems to me that the opportunities could be endless because, you know, a lot of people are used to things like the uh, Nintendo devices that provide for direct feedback and that kind of thing. But imagine a future where you could have something much more like a bow that could shoot some kind of a dry fire device, maybe scoring with a laser, something like that. I mean, there's a lot of possibilities. So it's it's quite a fascinating area of potential future development. And we'll, we'll eagerly look forward to seeing progress in that area as well. Because uh, I think, I really think that these kinds of things do lead to people picking up the sport. You know, if 100 people pick up a virtual version of the sport, maybe at least five might actually get into the sport for real. And that obviously well, is, is a good thing. As far as I remember, we had uh, a medalist in Buenos Aires from the US, Trenton Coles, who came from, I would say, uh, doing archery virtually on a, 
uh, an advice and then getting into the sport and then going to the Youth Olympic Games and winning a medal. Yeah. I two medals, if I'm mistaken. Yeah, I heard that story, and I think that that's a perfect example of exactly what we just talked about. So. Um, something else that's been developing, of course, is, um, you know, looking forward to more large scale events. And I understand that archery has been added to the European Games, which will take place in 2023, which is a win for our sport. Yeah, it will be the third edition and uh, it will be again Compan and Recurve and, and uh, it will be part uh, very likely of the Paris qualification uh, system. So uh, we really look forward to it. It will be Poland this time. And um, yeah, I, I think it's it's a valuable addition to the continental games. And uh, we have the Asian games that have the longest tradition, the Pan-American games, uh, African games, and then uh, in Oceania we also have the Pacific games. So we know five major games uh, for each continent there is something. And uh, the European Games, I think, definitely are, are on the, the step of becoming more and more important. And uh, we'll, see, we'll see what happens there. But uh, 2023 will be in Poland. In the meantime, I think the, the big outlying question that we all have is, uh, and, and I, think that I think all of us have this question, is how things are going for uh, the Olympic Games of 2020, which will take place uh, starting July 23rd of 2021. And I know that the organizing committee continues to work hard. Um, there have been some political developments in Japan. Uh, Shinzo Abe, the prime minister for many years since 2012, is uh, stepping down and he will be replaced by somebody in his own party. And I think politically we can expect the same support for the games that we've seen already. Uh, interestingly, Mr. Abe is now going to be uh, going back to taking over the Archery Federation in Japan, from what I understand. Uh, so that's interesting. Uh, it's, it's, it's indeed the case that uh, we've had a very good supporter uh, in the in his role as, as prime minister, uh, and uh, and we, we we send him a message uh, wishing him uh, the best for his health, and, and already saying that he was for sure invited to the games next year uh, at the archery competition. Uh, and uh, we we know his his successor is is. Uh, is uh, a very close uh, companion oh. for years, so we know that um, we will continue with the same line, and then we, we, we are sure that that Olympics will take place. Now, will the Olympics take place as they were planned? No. Uh, will there be changes to how we perceive the games? Very likely, but. I'm more and more convinced every day that we will have Olympic Games. Um, I, we, we're seeing more and more sport events finding solutions. Uh, the US Open uh, tennis has just finished, not without challenges, but it has finished. The Tour de France is heading to Paris on Sunday. Uh, so we're seeing more and more competitions uh, showing that uh, we're getting there. We will have a competition in Antalya early October. It's not going to be a huge participation. We're looking at the moment at 14 countries, around 100 participants. But uh, it will be the first international competition since March. And uh, this is again showing us uh, we're going in the right direction. Um, is it going to be easy? No. Uh, there will be things that 
athletes and officials and everyone else will have to do that are not the same as in the past, but we will get there. Well, nothing is the same as it was in the past. So, you know, by the time uh, July rolls around, I think that we will be in a much better position to understand what those things may be and and, uh, obviously hoping for the best. But uh, it's reassuring to hear that in some form, we are going to have that competition. There are so many shooters around the world continuing to work hard here in the U.S., Brady Ellison and Jack Williams and people like that we've spoken with. Uh, they're, They're working just as hard right now as if you know, the games were uh, on as normal. And I think that uh, we've seen so many people inspired by people like Ms. Karma in Bhutan and so many others around the world. Um, that inspirational aspect of the games is so important for so many to keep the fire going is an important thing. And so knowing, uh, hearing you confidently say we are going to have a games is a big thing. And I appreciate that. Well, Tom, the... Um, progress that's being made, uh, of course, uh, is something that we can also look to other sports, as you alluded to, U.S. Open and some others. Even in Japan, baseball has started up again, but crowds are being kept to a small number, um, you know, basically 50% capacity in some cases. Um, I suppose that we could read between the lines and say, if we have spectators at the games, uh, some and it's a little early to say, but I think that we would say that they would be in a different position than before, maybe more distancing, that kind of thing, maybe even no spectators for some sports. And uh, well, we'll see how all that, how all that develops. They're, they're working on different scenarios as far as we understand. Um, now I think there will be some kind of spectators. Now, will it be the capacity that was originally planned? I have my doubts on that. Uh, already because basically if there needs to be some kind of social distancing you can't sit uh, uh, within 10 centimeters of someone else which would be the case normally Uh, okay will people have to wear a mask well probably Um, we have I would say two major advantages when I look at Tokyo is first of all we are an outdoor sport which means that the, the risks are much lower than if you would be in an indoor hall with air conditioning uh, and so on and so on. Uh, second uh, advantage we have, we are a, a non-contact sport and we have enough distance between the athletes uh, on the shooting uh, uh, field of play and, and so we, we have already possibility to do certain things. We already had planned to have only two people per target uh, anyway. Uh, maybe we'll have to have them shoot in two different uh, details instead of one detail. We will see these are things that could be easily implemented and have been implemented at many tournaments uh, this year. We will see how it goes. Uh, and then the last thing is we are a standalone venue, which originally wasn't perhaps the, the best thing, but now it is definitely a good thing because uh, that also helps in terms of getting people there and not having crossovers with others and so on and so on. Sure. So there's a lot of positivity about that whole situation and uh, we'll look forward to seeing how things develop as we get closer. Um, in our last podcast, you talked about the uh, scheduling for events around the world. And now, um, you know, we've seen more events showing up on the schedule for next year. 
also, as a result of World Archery opening the books on world record scores, we have seen an avalanche of world records because of some new categories that were open for world records, as well as old scores falling, including Mike Schlusser having shot a spectacular score to beat the 11-year-old world record of Peter Elzinga. Any thoughts about um, what that shows? I think it shows that, that archers were were always ready to come back at a high level. Well, I think I, what I've seen, and I've, I've seen the same in the last week as the Swiss Championship, people are so eager to, to compete and so happy to compete. So the, the, the mental, the, the positive attitude people have at the moment when they're on a, on a field of play is helping. There's no discussion. And because if you feel good, you compete good. And, and when, when I, the, the thing with the, the score from Mike, uh, from people that were actually at the event, and you know, at 90 meters, they actually had some kind of fog. And it was difficult to see the target. At 30 meters, the wind was coming up. And he still shot 360. Yeah. Uh, these, these are the things that, that are really amazing. Uh, but it shows, I think, that, that positive attitude. And, and uh, again, uh, like I said, this weekend as well, I saw people shooting 29s and, uh, in, in sets and, and so on. And normally you wouldn't expect to shoot 27. And it's, I think it's a lot of it has to do with the fact that people want to feel good about it and are positive uh, because they can uh, compete again. Yeah, and sometimes yeah. it seems taking a break from regular activity, when you come back, things improve. And uh, who knows, it might be an unanticipated consequence, uh, you know, one of those unexpected things that... Uh, crops up when we have something like this that we have no experience with before. So uh, interesting that uh, you and I have the same observation on that because I think that uh, I really think that people are just so positive about being able to play again that uh, they come in with their A game and it's a nice thing to see. Well, Tom, I want to thank you for joining us for the podcast again. We'll catch up with you again soon when uh, some more of the events take place and more things develop. Uh, going to keep an eye on what's happening with some of the things that you brought up, the gender equity uh, or equality. We'll get a definition of that someday, I'm sure, as well as the uh, well, esports well, initiative. I think some consensus in that one stage, yes. Tom, thanks for joining us. Pleasure as always, George. Thanks for joining us on today's podcast. Uh, later this week, we'll have another podcast where we'll be talking with Bruce Call, the Executive Director of the NFAA Foundation on the huge week that just took place in Yankton. And Steve Anderson will be weighing in. Steve was out there competing and will be wanting to get his take on things. So we'll see you later this week for another episode of the Easton Podcast. Thanks for joining us.